we talk a lot about um, what's been going on with the publishers and um, news outlets themselves and the journalists that work for them here on the 30. But one group of journalists that has been heavily affected by the downturn in jobs, ironically, um, and especially what's going on right now with um, uh, Verona is um, freelance journalists. There are thousands of freelance journalists in the United States and the, every time there is a layoff, uh, more and more people join their ranks and they do some of the most important work that is going on right now um, in the country, in particular with um, the, the Corona law, um, stay at home orders increasingly freelancers are those the people that are being called upon by news outlets, particularly national news outlets, to cover what's going on in our communities. They get paid um, horrible wages, you know, a few hundred dollars for a story. They oftentimes are given little or no um, uh, protection or, or, you know, guarantees that if they get sick, that someone's going to make sure that they are helped. Um, and, you know, they are oftentimes the people that know the communities that are covered by, by larger outlets the best. And in fact, often they will work as fixers, translators. Um, they work with the writers and producers from national news organizations, and they don't get a whole lot of credit. Um, and I've had a lot of experience working with freelancers, particularly along the, the border, where um, journalists there on both the U.S. and the Mexican side have worked with me as my fixers and as my translators. I've become friends with them, and they've taught me so much about being um, a journalist and covering communities with um, uh, care and empathy. And in this time when, you know, all of us are, are dealing with, a, you know, a, a situation where any one of us could get sick by going on assignment, they deal with it every day and, and they don't have the kind of, of backup that they necessarily need. And, and this week I wanted to talk to, to two uh, women who are, are freelancers. Um, one is Caitlin O'Hara, who I've, I've worked with several times, and uh, Laura Saunders. They work with a group called uh, Juntos Photo, which is a co-op. Uh, in, I guess, in Arizona, of, of uh, freelancers who um, are trying to work together to try to do a couple of different things, sort of top line, I guess. They're trying to make sure that, um, that the, their communities are covered correctly. Uh, and, but also right now in this time of the COVID-19 uh, outbreak, they are trying to organize and make sure that those that hire freelancers are taking adequate protections for them. Um, and I think that uh, it was a really good conversation and a very timely conversation. So I'm John Stanton, and this is The 30, the end of the news. Caitlin North, thank you very much for uh, for joining us on the thirty. Um, I think that you know I've been wanting to do a, a show on freelancers in general, frankly, for a while now, um, because I think that it's a part of the industry that that gets overlooked and the impacts of the contractions of the industry, you know, um, are something that we we don't talk about in, in terms of how they are affecting freelancers. Uh, but I, uh, especially given the fact that we are now in the middle of the coronavirus. Um, epidemic and that it's affecting everybody across the country, but it's also really hitting our industry very hard. I thought it was really important to talk to a couple of folks. So thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Laura, why don't you give, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your history? 
Yeah. Um, so I have been doing photography for a really long time. I was one of those lucky people who found it when I was really young as a teenager um, and have been kind of enamored with it ever since. So I feel really lucky in that way. But I also went to school um, and I, I studied in London for documentary um, photography. And since then, I've also transformed my practice into um, doing film. So at this point, I describe myself as a photographer and a filmmaker. Um, it's kind of manifested in a lot of different ways. I've worked in galleries. I've uh, worked in kind of academic spaces. Um, but more recently, it's really just been working as a freelancer. So uh, I work with traditional news outlets. I do long-term work. Um, I do my own film projects. And then I also just get sort of hired as doing DP work and um, as photographer, you know, depending on what, what the need is. Um, I've been based between DC and the Southwest in Arizona. And uh, that's how I connected with Caitlin and um, got involved with our Juntos project, which we'll talk more about. But that's, that's I think, uh, enough of a summary of kind of where I'm at and what I do. That, 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 that's a crazy bounce going from <clears throat> DC to the Southwest. I, I used to do it quite a bit. So yeah. It's, it, can be, it can be super jarring just to get go from one place to the other on the airplane. Yeah, um, I'm actually transitioning more to be in the Southwest for that exact reason. But, you know, D.C. has been a great jumping point and has really connected me, especially, I think, in the film regard to people who have been super supportive and networks. And, you know, it's all about collaboration. And I think we'll probably talk about that more, too. But I really have, have loved that about it. And, um, yeah, I feel lucky to be able to do it. So. Okay, then, I mean, you and I know each other pretty well, but, but why don't you tell the, uh, the listening public uh, all about yourself? Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, John. Um, I've been a freelancer for six years-ish. I've been making photos for a long time as well. Um, I'm lucky that I was able to do some student journalism at Indiana University. Um, I, yeah, I came from Indianapolis. I grew up in Indianapolis um, and live in Phoenix now for about five and a half, six years. And a lot of my work focuses on migration and how that um, how that system is difficult to navigate and what it looks like uh, for all kinds of families. Um, I like to focus on long-term work uh, where I stay with a project for a number of years. Um, some of my projects are going on um, five years now and some of them are uh, turnaround daily news stories. So I kind of come from a community journalism and reporting background and um, now do photography for hire in uh, all capacities. So get at me, folks. I have a lot of free time at the moment. You know, it's funny. One of the, you guys, you, you and I have worked on three stories or four stories together, I think, at this yeah. point. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing, I, like, I figured out very early on that um, uh, in doing sort of feature stories that, that I really, that having someone that was like a local person to be working with, um, as a, that we're doing the freelance shooters or, you know, for translating or for fixers or whatever, so making sure there was somebody that was there and that was <clears throat> in touch with the, with the community and the area was super important. And I was actually surprised that um, the first time we worked together that you had, were relatively new to the, to, to the area because you were so deeply um, kind of invested in it and had already picked up a, a, a really sort of good, strong grasp of, kind of the what was happening on the on the border there in Arizona 
it's a huge compliment. Um, I'm definitely not from Phoenix and I can't claim that I'm not from the border communities, um, but there's amazing folks here um, who really call me out when I mess up and learn with me. And um, yeah, there's so many people I could call out. Um, like uh, early on when I was working, uh, Fernando Santos helped me out so much and Peter Juarez and you know, all of our folks who are reporters and storytellers and also, um, you know, work with community organizations a lot who see the greatest needs in our community. Um, yeah, I really owe all of that early learning to them and from working a lot of part-time jobs when I first got to Phoenix. So I got to just hang out and like chop vegetables and talk with a lot of people. So that was also, um, you know, picking up uh, all kinds of skills from that kind of stuff too. Well, you know, uh, maybe you guys talk a little bit about Juntos as well now. Yeah, Elle, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, so um, Juntos came to be, um, I guess, in the last year or so. Does that, is that correct, yeah. Caitlin? Would you say, describe that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they're working on it like, su like super hard. Yeah. Um, and so the group has formed um, sort of as a way to support one another in a region where um, there's a lot of different people coming in and making stories um, about really sensitive issues. And I think we were all feeling like we wanted to be able to support one another, um, but like really be accountable to the communities that we're telling stories with and also be like really explicit about the values and um, the way we're standing together about how we frame the stories. So it just was a way to, to put our, um, our framework into practice as a group. Uh, and it's offered a lot of really great sort of smaller moments, but also bigger moments of being able to be creative with integrity and to be accountable and also to just like have fun be in a space where we can we can be creative but feel like we've got our footing. Uh, and I think especially in the in the border regions and when you're working on intense topics like I know so many of us do, um, having that kind of sense of um, support can be the difference between just being able to have it be sustainable and not. Kate, do you want to add anything? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Ash Ponders and I and Laura are all kind of working on different stories um, in the Southwest and across the country that kind of deal with some of the unseen parts of um, current events, like Laura's projects about detention centers and how those are funded and how that fits into the historical context and Ash's projects about water in the desert and farm labor and how everything is so connected here and how you know people have been living in the desert for thousands of years like forever and the, the way that um you know the consensus of how to live here is by doing it together and by helping each other in mutual aid and sharing resources so um yeah i guess it's kind of this is our take on that yeah you know it's it's, it's interesting because i think that um you know coming from from a dc background and from covering politics for so long um and from you know very much kind of a old school way of thinking about reporting, there is this there's this idea that that reporters to a certain degree can be um, you know parachutists, right? And if a good reporter can be sort of dropped into the middle of anything, and they can figure out how to how to write on it. And and I think that that's true to a certain degree. 
Um, but I think that, that certainly the time that I've spent covering the, the border it very, became very quickly apparent to me that, that there was a set of skills that you also had to try to bring to, to bear, frankly, on the border that, that you don't necessarily need if you're covering Congress, which is... Um, There's a difference uh, in skills, yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, but like, you know, it's like a, like a sensitivity and then like an understanding yeah. that like the people you're dealing with um, uh, everywhere on the, on the border are, come from a, a very, are, are, are existing in a very unique kind of space culturally and psychologically and, and environmentally. And, and that, you know, you have to have a sensitivity for, for what that means for them. And, you know, that includes migrants who are not, you know, living there for very long, but they are, they are very much a part of that. And, and it's, um, I think it's, it's, it's great that you guys are sort of trying to find ways to, to foster a good quality kind of, of, uh, of, uh, of a work there. I mean, that's, it's, it's important. It's a, it's a lesson that I think a lot more of, of my colleagues that come to the border um, and parachute in to write there periodically need to, to understand and, and get a much better uh, grasp on. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about power when I'm making images or if I'm working on a film. I think a lot about the power that I have, um, the power that the people who I'm working with have or, or don't have access to, right? So coming from DC, you know, life does move differently and covering, covering politics is, um, it's interesting because when we, when we do this work on the border, people will say, oh, that's really political. But, you know, in D.C., it's just in the water. So I think there's this funny kind of balance, right, of um, how you frame it and how you look at it in smaller moments. But I'm always thinking about, you know, what are the vulnerabilities here? And am I accountable to uh, the people in the, in the process who don't have the same conversations with people that have even more power than me? Um, and I kind of try to think about it in those terms. Because um, for me, I think it's really easy to to not be is aware of what is happening after, you know, the edit or in the community, uh, the vulnerabilities that are happening. So I just, the, that's always at the forefront of my mind. Have you guys have sent, uh, have, do, you, do you guys have any sense at all um, or opinion, I guess, on, on whether or not the, the calls that have been made over the last few years and the, and the pressure that's been put onto particularly white guys like me that come to report there, to try to learn that sensitivity and to, and to, to have it in their reporting. Do you think that it's had an effect, um, you know, and, and, or do you think that it's still lagging badly? I feel like most of the people who are still doing reporting in general are, you know, wealthier male, you know, cis straight people who have a lot of privilege and who are going to have blind spots, but the, the thing to do about that is to just sit back and realize that you have a lot to learn and to, a lot more to listen than, you know, maybe to contribute at first. And I think that you did that. And I think that um, it's definitely, it's definitely something that we have to always consider. I'm a white reporter. I'm Anglo. I speak Spanish at like a child's level <laughs> and I'm always trying to get better, but I definitely have my blind spots and that's why I have, a, a lot of people around me who um, I'm always, you know, who are always checking me. I'm always learning from and, and um, you know, never kind of calling myself from here because, because I have all of those blind spots for sure. 
I think it also is a way that I frame my work. I ask like, what kind of questions am I going for and who am I focusing on and why? And um, I think it's easy to get quote unquote access, right? The word we use is access to people who have more vulnerability and the people who are influencing the bigger decisions and the stuff that we see as the fallout are harder to get to and harder to have access to. So I think about that too in framing the work that I make and why am I making it. A lot of my work also is based in Appalachia where I grew up in Virginia and they're building a pipeline. Um, and that's been really, really helpful because it is my own community. And so to feel um, just what that is to be in my own space and then to go into another space that I am fully invested in and have my own community in, but I'm not from there. I think um, we all can learn really valuable lessons about how would we feel if this, this was someone that we loved uh, and what does that mean for how we, we share their, what they're giving us and what they're being generous with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, actually, I think that um, the access thing is, is a, interesting point because it's in like again in, in sort of Washington reporting and New York reporting there's this there's a lot of deference that gets given to people uh with power right I mean like they can speak off the record or on background uh reporters will often you know um give them a certain amount of leeway in terms of um allowing them to interpret their own statements uh you know um the, the i think the most egregious example and bad example of that of, of the last several years has been the reticence that people had to call you know donald trump a racist or steve king a racist right because because they claimed they weren't racist news outlets were really willing to to give them a lot of leash frankly and to say well you know racially tinged or whatever and i think that was very bad but um too often people don't do that with um you know, man on the street interviews and certainly not with, with vulnerable populations. And I, you know, it's, I think it's often um, something that a lot of people don't even think of. And I think it's also, uh, I don't know, to me, some of it sometimes feels almost like a function of their hoping to get that super hopeless um, quote, right? You know, they're trying to, to, to pull the misery out of somebody. Easy. Yeah. The kind of nuanced reporting takes a lot of time and resources that, frankly, a lot of people aren't willing to provide at the moment. And these stories that, um, you know, we were all working on before the this pandemic has uh, kind of eclipsed the news cycle and everything, but, like, the those things are still happening and um, those communities are still going to be some of the most vulnerable people to the fallout of like government failure in this crisis, you know, it's, it's another wave. Um, so yeah, that's really difficult. Yeah. I also try to think about, you know, when I'm talking to someone, we say, okay, so they're, they're vulnerable in these ways, but also they're the experts of their experience. Right. And so <laughs> I want to listen to them and, and give them nothing but trust and, and sort of ask them, what does this mean to share this for you? Like, what are the realities of that? And frame it in that way too. Um, so just even throwing this idea that there's someone whose opinion is more valuable than anyone else's. Um, you know, the way we like to frame this person having this kind of experience that makes it more important. Uh, you know, for me, that's way out the window. I think everyone is, is the expert of their own life. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful thing about what we get to do. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that's 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 a really great way of putting it. And um, 
Yeah, again, I, I think that people too often in, in our business don't think of it that way. And I think that's a, um, that's a shame because it, it makes the reporting better. It makes the storytelling better. I mean, even from like a very mechanical point of view, right? Um, even if you don't want to worry about someone else's well-being or, or whatever, you know, like just the, the stories are better if you yeah. do that. Um, now, so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about just sort of being freelancers and your experiences being freelancers um, and sort of what that's been like for you. Um, I, I was never a freelancer till I got laid off last year and um, I found it in, in extraordinarily challenging and, and I kind of understood it before, but I don't think I really understood how bad it was uh, and how hard it can be, right? Like financially. Put it together. <laughs> there's, it's hard because you feel like you have no recourse and at first you feel very alone, but you realize that there's actually a lot of us doing this and there's a lot of ways that people help each other out. Um, so that is something that is beautiful when you realize um, that you're really not in it alone, but um, organizing us is hard because we're all in different states. We're all over the world. Uh, we have different needs. We have different healthcare situations. We have different um, living situations. You know, some people are very transparent about the other incomes in their household and some people aren't, you know, those things can, can be difficult, but um, you know, I think that, um, I think that we can agree that there's, there's a lack of infrastructure for, freelancers and gig workers in the country but when it comes to news also it's it's an essential service that is uh um difficult to fund and um you know we don't have hazard pay or pto or sick leave or a lot of us don't have health insurance i don't have health insurance um so you know it, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty yeah i think it's also just this rhythm of uncertainty it becomes the norm. So, uh, you know, for us, we also talk a lot about how can we be good to ourselves and how can we be good to each other and just really simple things that I think might be built in more to other jobs. And especially right now, right? We're seeing all these people in all these different industries taking a hit, us included. Um, and we're getting to practice uh, communicating better about contracts and, you know, dealing with dealing with things um, where communication isn't good, you know, because we're not a big dog in the room, right? Like it's sort of this thing that you feel like you're pretty easily pushed aside. And I think um, one of the biggest things that, that has helped me with that is just talking to people with experience and making sure that we have a strong kind of circle of community around us to be able to check in and go, hey, this feels off what do you think or what kind of language would you use in this moment? You know, just like really the nuts and bolts of the everyday that, that comes up for so many of us. Mm -hmm. Could you guys talk a little bit more too about, about sort of the being good to ourselves? I think that, you know, I've talked with a couple of, of other reporters about this and about the, the mental health um, <clears throat> impacts of, of layoffs uh, on them. But I feel like there's a, there's a definite mental health um, component frankly, to, to, to living as a, as a freelancer. Yeah. Um, man, I can't really go out and say that, like, I have a crazy routine or anything, because um, I don't. And I do vary my days by jobs. Um, but there are lots of things I try to do every day. 
um, you know, checking in with myself. I like to run. I like to read. I like to spend time with my partner. I like to, you know, be outside. Um, I don't want to feel like I always have to be hustling and pitching. Um, I love to work and I know that I can retreat into work when I get stressed and I have to remind myself to slow down a little bit and not to worry um, so much about when the next job is going to come. But, you know, I also worry for, for everybody around me because it's, um, it is, it is difficult and it, it's hard when you feel like there's uh, a lot of things that we want to be covering and sometimes we can't get um, a publication to, you know, spend their precious resources on hiring us for that job. And um, you see a lot of your colleagues have great ideas and never get to execute them. And that can be demoralizing, but, you know, supporting each other and figuring out alternate places for those things, um, other ways of getting those stories out. Um, you know, I've been really, th those kind of things make me hopeful, you know, seeing people work together um, to get good stories and good, um, good work out into the world, even when it's, um, it's hard to sell it sometimes. So, yeah, I think for me, a big part of that, you know, in the practical is taking on jobs where I feel respect from the client and where I feel acknowledged in what it takes for me to do good work. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky to be in a position where that's a consideration, but I think it's also that I've been doing this for long enough that I've realized there's really not a price that's worth it if I don't have those things. And that's been an immense sort of support for me in the long term of how do I keep doing this <laughs> with all the uncertainty around it? And also, you know, the work, the work that I do, um, it's heavy stuff and I'm being exposed to a lot of trauma and other people's trauma. And I think taking that more seriously and understanding what the impact of that is and uh, understanding what it does to my own body and, and just being really respectful of that is a real thing has been really helpful um, and I know there's a lot of groups that are focusing more on that and talking more about that. So it's twofold, right? It's the practical day-to-day self-care. And then it's also the, the bigger picture, right, of, of how do we do this in a way that really does support us and the people around us. Yeah, I think that's crucial because it also extends to how you further relate to people that you're working with and telling stories with. Because if you're having a hard time processing your trauma, then you might not be informed about their continuing trauma and it just you know it doesn't help anybody at that point either yeah like the, the idea of walking around is uh, you know carrying around your own yeah your trauma right yeah it makes you um you know, blind to other people's i think to a certain degree although there is i feel like there is in this industry this sort of um stereotype almost you know of the of the um you know war correspondent or whatever who can <clears throat> just sort of pack it all in and take it all in and um, just jump to the next horrific thing and be totally fine with it. And I just, it's just not a, that's just not real. It's not healthy and it's, and it's not a real thing people can practically do. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we joke about this in Juntos, but you know, we like feeling our feelings in real time. <laughs> it's like a, a really simple thing, but like, you know, pulling off the side of the road to have a cry if you need it. Like I, you know, that's, a lot of people wouldn't admit that, but I'm like, okay, I'm a crier now. You know, like the, I just think it's like a thing that if you don't feel it, it's going to come back and, and you're going to feel it later. So I think that's been a, a learning curve and something that I'm 
pretty proud of actually, right? Because we're not encouraged to do that. And there's ways mm -hmm. to be professional, quote unquote, with that. But, but also, um, yeah, I'm really glad because I have a lot of people in, who do this kind of work who, are, who do the same thing. And so that's validating too, right? To see other people that are, that are taking that kind of approach. Yeah, I think when you stop being horrified by some of the stuff, like that's, you know, a bad sign. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about <clears throat> because I think that that you know during the the, the Me Too um, uprising, I guess, or, or explosion of stories about things, there was <clears throat> a fair amount of, of um, uh, attention paid to the the news industry. Um, this would be a good time to remind everybody out there that <clears throat> uh, Mark Halperin was um, laid low uh, as part of that for um, uh, sexually harassing women he worked with and uh, that he's still attempting to make a comeback and that everyone should know that even though he has been completely unrepentant about what he did, um, including putting his alleged wiener on uh, women. So that's a thing. Um, and But, you know, one area of that, story that I thought didn't get a lot of attention um, was what happens with, with freelance, freelance reporters um, and, sh and shooters and, and um, fixers and everybody else sort of working around um, full-time male reporters. And I know from people that I know, particularly on the border, but in other parts of the country that they've had, um, they've all, almost every woman that I know sort of has, you know, told a story or has a story that they could tell if they wanted to. Um, about, you know, reporters acting terribly and being, you know, abusive or worse. And I, I'm curious, you know, obviously you don't have to go into any kind of details or anything, but, if, you know, have, have you had to deal with that? Has there been um, any change at all in terms of the frequency of it or, 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 you know, sort of since this has become more talked about? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> uh, wow, this is a really big topic, but um, I guess I want to say, like, when I think about sexual violence in the context of the place that we live, I think about how people preemptively take birth control when they head north on the migrant trail, um, how people are uh, facing that kind of thing every single day. Um, in journalism, we definitely, you know, still have patriarchal violence. Um, I work in a lot of sports contexts. Um, actually, a big part of my work is covering sports. And for a long time, you know, I was one of the only women on the sidelines, and that was always harder. It's, so it's cool when there are more, um, you know, femme people around. I always feel more comfortable. <laughs> when you know there are people who you know have my back more uh but i don't know i don't i don't know if it's gotten better i think everybody still has to grapple with that and um you know especially our um our friends who are trans and you know queer and uh you know they're facing a lot more danger than i am um so my experience is I haven't noticed that much of a change, but I hope that it, we all continue to work towards a change in that way. I, f I feel like me too. Um, it gave us some words and some terminology and some organizing that wasn't there before, but it's not, you know, one-stop shop. We, we don't get to say, <laughs> Oh, cool. Like, look what we did. We fired that person or we, you know what I mean? And it's mm -hmm. not even like a, we, it's like this, 
the sort of reckoning moment where um, there's, it's so insidious, right? That like, what is, what can you point at and say, okay, that that got fixed. And I think mm-hmm. that's the complicated part about it, right? It's like these small things that we're all feeling and doing and experiencing that add up, you know, it's, do we feel safe? And the kinds of conversations um, that a lot of my colleagues and, and myself included consider um, when we're going out on an assignment, you know, it just looks a certain way. And I think it's only, it's only helping us that these conversations are, are being had like with a wider audience and with everyone in mind. Um, I think there's questions about how, what does, what does equity look like? Right. You know, and who gets centered and, you know, I'm really glad that Caitlin brought up what she has about the context of, of the desert and the areas that we work in. Um, you know, there's a lot of violence that ripples across different places and doesn't always look like one thing. So I think just paying more attention to that and getting clear on, on moments when we can have a boundary and just stick to it and it gets respected, that's huge, right? But also not put ourselves in places where we can't control that or if we're in them, have people who are looking out for us and uh, stepping up and, and learning a new language about what they see in real time so that we're not the only ones having to deal with it. You know, it's like stuff like that that I'm uh, feeling encouraged by and wanting to see more of. Mm-hmm. I think that it's hard for with freelancers. We don't have an HR department. You know, we don't have any really uh, solid legal recourse. Um, so a lot of the a lot of that stuff kind of happened with social pressure. Um, so that's <laughs> a slow well, process. Yeah. Right? HR departments aren't designed to protect mm-hmm. us either. You know, like I've right. helped organize um, right. legal sort of settings for people to come in and talk about like really basic questions of well so this happened what is the recourse you know with with legal aid that is given their given their time for free because they care about the state of journalism and and the people that are doing the work but you know if that's the best system we have in place and then you're fighting hr you know so it's not it's it is really complicated and it does take it takes determination but also is that worth it and you know what's going to suffer in the meantime like i know the um, enormous personal costs uh that have that have happened for certain people um and it's you know it's complicated it's it's really complicated (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think you know it's an interesting wrinkle to it for being on the border and and sort of being involved in in spaces where there's a lot of kinds of danger that are going on. <clears throat> I think that was, uh, I mean, just in general, the the terrible and shocking things that some of my, my, my colleagues and friends have told me over the years about what's happened to them with other reporters that are working with, um, <coughs> excuse me, was bad enough. But then realizing that like, you know, you're also having to be in a position where you need to feel like this person is going to, have your back and support you and the people that they work for are going to have your back and support you if, you know, things go pear-shaped, right? And you suddenly find yourself in like a very immediate, you know, physical danger or if you're, God forbid, kidnapped or something like that, you know? I mean, I think it's, um, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a daunting and I would I feel like almost impossible to me at least thing to wrap your head around if you are at the same time, you know, being, you know, harassed and, 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 you know, abused or put through the ringer by somebody who you're supposed to also be trusting. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, power dynamics. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that we're, we're always adjusting our safety protocols, like when we're working um, in Mexico, <laughs> that's difficult. Uh, we usually go as a team. Um, we have a lot of people who we let know that, you know, we're on where we are. Um, some companies are better than others at um, coordinating with freelancers and safety experts and lawyers. And, uh, you know, as the border continues to be militarized uh, digitally and physically, it's, it's work, journalists are going to see even more danger. Um, a lot of my friends have had it so much worse than me and, um, you know, it, it can be very precarious and it's really daunting to navigate on your own. Um, so the situation is always changing and um, we're always updating each other. Uh, a lot of people who work around here are, you know, providing people updates and um, best practices for safety, you know. Um, Ash always says that Ajo feels like one of the cities that has the most users of signal per capita <laughs> in the country, which is kind of an amazing thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we're learning how to adapt in the face of a lot of uh, militarization at the border and um, the communities that live there have to deal with that so much more than me. I, I get to drive back north sometimes, so. Yeah, and with my work, I, you know, I have to be really aware of um, sort of like other powers that be. <laughs> so for me, um, I'm in spaces where there's a lot of uh, police enforcement and, you know, like hot kind of frontline pipeline work is really intense. And so um, covering these communities that are doing environmental work and, um, you know, just small town rural work but trying to stop these pipelines there's there's a lot of law enforcement there's a lot of tension there's a lot of violence and so um i've i've felt that and um i think that's another concern for freelancers you know like what are are you going to be targeted for this are you um like what kind of recourse do you have does is someone going to know if you get locked up like these kinds of things um having those plans in place and not everyone is going to have access to legal support, which is another reason why having a community is so important. Um, I know that IWMF has done a great job trying to get people together and have these conversations. Um, mm -hmm. Press Freedom, you know, there's a number of groups that I'm sure you're familiar, familiar with who uh, have helped us sort of move that forward. But I think for me, that's like a big, a big part of my time is spent sort of weighing the options of what's, what's a good choice and what's a riskier choice and how do I mitigate those things? Well, on uh, kind of a related note, I guess, ultimately, um, I, I would definitely wanted to talk a little bit about, um, about the coronavirus and about the effects that it's having on, on freelancers. Uh, Caitlin, I know you've raised this on Twitter um, as, you know, as the industry has been seeing a bunch of layoffs over just the last, you know, two weeks and newspapers getting shut down and, um, you know, budgets being cut back as a result of the the stock market going down. <clears throat> what what are the impacts that that you guys are are, are feeling? I guess um, right now, and and what is your concern sort of going forward as this continues? Um, I gotta say, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I don't have any answers yet. But um, 
I think it's going to be really hard for a lot of people who don't have savings. I think that um, one thing that freelancers do uh, in addition to our long-term projects is also event coverage, uh, commercial work. Um, I cover sports and all that kinds of stuff. And all of that um, has dried up um, for good reason, but it's, it's going to be a long time before we get back to being able to be in big groups covering things like that. I'm also worried about how people are going to be covering this safely. Um, you know, I think hazard pay is something that we need to discuss seriously. I think, um, you know, making sure people have personal protective equipment, um, making sure that we're not putting community in danger when we're making photographs, um, making sure that photographers are safe. Um, there's a lot of challenges um, just by the nature of what we do for our job. We, you know, we can't really do it from home. Um, I can research and read and um, pitch stuff and do all that kinds of stuff at home. But ultimately I, my job has to be with people. So um, I'm worried about that. And there's a lot of creative ways that people are covering it. Um, Jovelle Abby Tamayo has been doing an amazing job in Seattle. Um, um, you know, the San Francisco Chronicle reporters have been doing some amazing stuff with portraits through the, the windows of people's houses. That's been really cool. Um, but freelancers, I mean, it's going to be tough. The, we're going to have to really have a lot of discussions with our editors that are very um, frank about how can we do this safely for me and for the people I'm photographing? Um, you know, what are the, if I get sick, are you going to help me with my health bills? Like, um, you know, freelancers don't have that kind of in industry support of, uh, you know, if somebody gets sick, are they just going to go on to the next person? I don't know. It's, that's kind of a dark road, right? Yeah. Um, as far as I know, pretty much everyone, like Caitlin said, for good reason, has had their jobs canceled for the next month to two months, if not longer. Um, and that's the appropriate response, given what we know right now. I also have a lot of concerns about the candid sort of conversations that we that we should and need to be having between people that are interested in, in working with us. Um, and I think it could be, you know, maybe a point where we get healthier as an industry because of that, right? Like the transparency just has to be there because it, it's a matter of health. And uh, it always has been, but maybe hasn't been framed that clearly. And um, I think that's a unique moment to sort of just talk about the things that have been lacking and name them. So in that way, I'm grateful for the conversation. But yeah, there's a ton of uncertainty. And I think it also is maybe another reminder that we are wherever we're based, right? Like there's a community there that we're a part of. And so this kind of hyper local work that we could be doing, um, I guess I have questions or curiosity about what that could look like and what that means. And um, that could also really just change the way that we're making stories and sharing um, ourselves within our work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thinking about the impact that we have with the other people who we're working with, you know, I mean, it's always been there, but now we really have to be honest with them about, you know, where you've been, if you've been safe, if you're not putting them in danger and, you know, some stories that I've been thinking about here, like, there's a whole lot of people waiting for asylum. Um, those conditions are not sanitary. And I know that people are trying to cover that story, but we have to make sure that people aren't traveling to those camps and bringing, you know, being vectors themselves. Um, we have to make sure that 
we document the fallout of everything that happens without making any, anything worse. Um, you know, taking a pause now is probably, I guess what I'm doing because I'm uh, trying to figure out what to do, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that, yeah, we maybe not jumping right into coverage, which is something that we're so prone to do as freelancers because one, like we're in a financial situation that necessitates us doing one story after another in quick succession. And we're used to jumping on a plane and traveling and having an uncertain schedule. And we're used to chaos on a certain level. You know, we like want to be on the front lines of a story. Um, I'm just worried about, um, yeah, I'm worried about what happens when people get sick. I guess worried at all that, that um, at some point that news outlets are going to start to look at, at, uh, freelancers is basically expendable people that they can and fodder they can throw at this thing you know that you get hired to go cover something where you got tons of potentially sick people and you know they they don't want to send their reporter who they're going to be definitely on the line for for dealing with their health care but they can send a, a freelancer for a relatively small amount of money um to them <laughs> and uh and then you know once the story's done you're no longer their responsibility and I don't want to speculate that, but I feel like that's kind of always been <laughs> the way it goes, right? Yeah. It happens in, in places dealing with conflict. and Yeah. Um, I think it's also, again, you know, this is an opportunity for us to get healthier as an industry and to name that that has been what's going on and it's not acceptable, you know, especially in this moment. Um but I also know that, you know, a lot of people feel like they're not in a position to speak up or would just be grateful to make some money right now. Um, I think it becomes an ethical conversation, to be quite honest, you know, for these for these people who might be tempted to do that with a freelancer. I mean, we look and see how grocery store workers are being treated in this moment and they're not getting extra pay or being treated as well as they need to be for the risks that they're taking. Um, I think it's it's just a really interesting moment to look at who's actually making our country come together and work, you know? So I think it's a great moment to look at that and talk about that. And I hope a moment to get better about that. <laughs> One would hope, right? <laughs> we can hope. There's always hope. <laughs> well, the, the last thing I got for you guys is um, I always like to ask everybody that's on the show, um, what their advice for people coming out of college or transitioning from some other job and want to get into the racket of journalism uh, would be. And so I'm curious uh, for you guys, what would be your suggestions? Um, yeah, that is hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been telling people that it's difficult, but a rewarding career. Um, when you figure out what you're passionate about and what you want to delve into and kind of, gosh, I don't know, become subject experts on a lot of things. Um, and finding people in your community who are smarter than you and listening. Um, meeting up with uh, journalists in your area who do good work and learning from them. Um, but also, I mean, 
making sure that you have your safety and you're in a financial spot where you can make it work. Um, and, and just like uh, not being afraid to also be doing other jobs as well. Um, but gosh, I don't know. Everything is so different now. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't know how to answer that right now. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild moment to think about what I would say to someone. Um, (laughs) I, you know, when I've talked to younger folks or, you know, I've done some, some tutoring with younger folks or spent time in classrooms. And for me, the things that have made the biggest difference are finding supportive community and getting a better grip on how to how to do work that lets me keep doing work I think is how I think about it and what that means for me is stories that I am committed to and accountable to a community with and um, can can grow and stretch but also uh, you know be creative and do what I love to do and I think it's this balance of challenging yourself but also being realistic and it's easy to get out of balance because of the grind, but just sort of keeping those things in mind, um, keeping the self-respect part in mind and what does that look like for you? Uh, so not necessarily just in terms of like, what is the work, but what, it, what do you need it to look like to keep doing it or to do it in a way that you can be proud of? Um, and that looks different for everyone. So that's the good news. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think those are the things that I've kind of held on to most. And when it, when there's uncertainty, there will be uncertainty. I think just being adaptable and knowing that um, there's a lot of different ways to be creative and there's a lot of different ways that your career can look. I know mine's taken so many unexpected turns and, you know, in the moment it can feel kind of scary, but ultimately, you know, what's meant for you will find you. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people. And I think, I think that we get a chance to, to learn really cool stuff in moments that are challenging if we look at it as a chance to learn and not just get stuck. But I also know that it's just hard. So like have, have a good crew. <laughs> yep. Find a good team. I think that's the, the smartest thing I've done in the past couple of years is find the smartest people I know, Ash and Laura and, uh, you know, team up. Well, yeah, and guys, listening, just really listening a lot. <laughs> well, you guys, I really do appreciate you um, taking the time to join me. Um, stay safe um, and continue being amazing reporters. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it.